0: Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn so that in today's accelerated world we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, Learning Specialist Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. Policymakers around the world are faced with complex and quickly changing issues that they need to understand in order to design public policy. Learning effectively and continuously is imperative to them managing the shifting landscape. To discuss new and impactful ways of learning, I'm joined in this episode by an expert in the field of learning for policymakers and government leaders. François Gagnon is the Vice President of Learning at the Institute on Governance an organization in Ottawa, Canada, that is dedicated to improving public governance in Canada and around the world. Francois has worked in the public service of Canada for over 25 years, including 13 years as an executive, leading and designing a variety of learning experiences. And prior to joining the Institute on Governance, Francois founded Lead Action, a firm specialized in leadership development. At the Institute on Governance, François leads a diverse offering of unique learning experiences for government leaders and policymakers. Thank you very much, François, for joining me on the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Kinga, for uh, for asking me and for having me this morning.
0: Well, I look forward to talking to you about this topic. In a fast-paced world where technological and political and environmental changes are happening at a breakneck speed. How is the job of a policymaker really changing what should we understand about that
1: There's two aspects I think that that are really key there the first one is information we are inundated with information and the pace of which uh, of it is increasing as well and the sources of information you know for example we, in some of our policy courses we talk about you know, the sources of information for policy advice 50 years ago and today and 50 years ago, like the policy advisors were the source of information for, in most cases, for the politicians or for the decision makers. And now today, there's a plethora of voices and, and a lot of policy think tanks and lobby groups and so on that ought to have access to information and obviously different kind that you have. All of this information is not all that trustworthy. And on the other side, however, there's a distrust from official sources. So in our society today, trust is really big issue and trust in government and institution, in particular the IOG studies that a lot, uh, is a big issue and, and we tend to distrust or question uh, any information that comes from, from sources. And just to give you an idea, so in, in when I was thinking about pace of information, uh, in, if, if, if 50 years ago, to reach 50 million people using radio, it would take you 38 years. And with television, thirteen years. With the internet, four years. And with social media, three months.
0: Wow!
1: And even in some cases with social media, we've seen cases of twenty-four hours to reach fifty million hits. So that gives you an idea of the pace and the speed at which information is circulating. And policymakers have to, in a you know, policy making in itself is a slow process because you have to build consensus around an idea yes at a time where you have turbulent information circulating outside so it's 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 that's the biggest challenge and that also calls for their learning skills because to be able to absorb and make sense and and learn those those trends then that they have to become very good learners
0: mm, absolutely it is it is very critical and this is exactly what you and your colleagues at the institute on governance do so Let's discuss a little bit about what is at stake if there isn't effective and appropriate learning for policymakers? What should they be really understanding about that?
1: It's a competitive policy world out there, if you want. Everybody's got policy advices, even even your grandma on her Facebook website. (laughs) So (laughs) therefore, uh, their policy advice have to be, their policy trade have to be at the leading edge. They have to be able to understand all those sources and make sense. Uh, what, what I'm thinking, what the, the analogy I often give is they have to understand the lyrics from the title of the song, if you want. Okay. You know, all this information forming the lyrics, but really what are the themes?
0: Mm. What
1: are the directions? What are the biggest the big pictures? For them as policymakers, learning is a key tool because they have to absorb all of this, understand the new trends and make sense in a competitive world where their mm-hmm. advice uh, is is key and so if if they don't develop that learning muscles because you know learning is a muscle that you practice and if you don't exercise it regularly then they're going to be, fall behind you know their advice are going to be less relevant less current less credible and that's going to be having an impact on the credibility of our institutions which is of, of the utmost importance right now and if we don't think that trust in government is important just look at what's happening in the U.S. as an example you know I have to say, though, that nothing replaces experience. So Obviously, experienced policymakers know a lot about what I was telling you, like the the weather of the day (laughs) versus the global climate, if you want. Uh, However, uh, you have to also understand the world that you live in and understand what are the waves made of to be able to serve them.
0: It is an incredibly important space where learning is, is really, truly relevant, because as things change on a daily basis, We think about often learning as something you go away for. You take a course, you come back, but really it's of utmost importance that it's woven into the fabric of how policymakers work and how their environment is structured, doesn't it? That learning is a continuous process.
1: And and that's one of the things that I I feel sad about is that we don't consider that as mission critical.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, We often consider this as something that is discretionary on something that you could do if you, if you had time. But, you know, if you consider, for example, that the one week worth of the New York Times is as much information as a person in the 18th century would come across in their lifetime, that gives you an idea how much we have to become good learners. And it's not only important to learn something, but also to learn how you learn to become a good learner.
0: Very important point, learning how to learn. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Well, you have to understand what you, as a person, you, how you learn best. You know, mm-hmm. do you learn best by doing things? Do you learn best by listening or by watching someone? What are, do you learn best by being by yourself and reading? Or do you learn best by being involved in something? And understanding that will make you a more effective learner. You know, the traditional learning approach that we think of is, you know, the teacher in front of a class and, le- and lecturing. There's all kinds of ways of learning as adults, and it's different. you know. So understanding that and developing that will make you a more effective learner. So therefore, when you face situations where you have to learn quick about a new approach a new technology, absorb a lot of information, then you know how to go about it more effectively rather than force yourself into a mode that doesn't work with you.
0: Yes, absolutely. That is absolutely important and uh, something that I know we've discussed before and something that I feel very strongly about that that needs to be incorporated into how we learn and discussed much more. Um, and, And something that you touched on just a little bit earlier is that we cannot put off learning for a time that is convenient, which is very relevant for the times we are living through right now, especially for policymakers. There's a lot of emergencies, there's a lot of a lot happening. And it's always during busy times that learning kind of falls to the wayside. Mm-hmm. Yet it is mm-hmm. a time when it's most important for it to be embraced and supported.
1: It's interesting that, you know, and I'm speaking to myself as I'm speaking about it, <laughs> I'm in the I'm myself I'm in a fast-paced job as well. And I exactly I'm I face those challenges. The virtual world in particular, the, the world we've been living in the last two years makes it worse because if you're if you're receiving an email and you haven't responded in 15 minutes, people wonder where the hell you are. <laughs> you know, in, in the office world, when you were in a meeting, people saw you in the boardroom mm-hmm. and they knew you were busy. Yes. And you had, you know, as for executives, for example, you had an assistant that would pick up the phone and say, sorry, he's not, he's not available right now. Mm-hmm. But now you're by yourself in your home office. You're receiving all those calls and all those text messages and all those social media calling you for help or decisions or whatever it is. And then you're saying, okay, take some time for learning. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, that's very challenging. It's hard. How are you going to be able to concentrate enough to absorb any information and make sense of it? And that's that's the challenge that we live in today right now.
0: Absolutely. And how amazing.
1: can we carve ourselves that time, that quality time for us to actually our brain to rest enough to be able to absorb new information.
0: Very, very important, which is why it's important that organizations support their employees appropriately in being able to put learning into their work. So let's discuss a little bit about what IOG, the Institute on Governance, how do you support policymakers and leaders in their learning?
1: Well, there's there's three three directions that we've been going through, uh, especially with the COVID area. Uh, we've actually discovered... It's interesting. We thought at the beginning that, you know, we'd never be be able to make meaningful learning virtually. You know, that was kind of a classroom paradigm was Mm -hmm. something that was very strong and for for many learning institutions and for us as well. We've discovered the power of that. So we offer bite-sized learning, like three-hour webinars on fundamental skills, sometimes a bit shorter, uh, fundamental policy skills or fundamentals like the, the 101 thing that you need to learn. We offer them regularly so people can take them at the time that's convenient to them. We realize that we've been reaching out people across the country and even around the world with this. And so therefore, that's an effective way of conducting learning for us. The other thing that we do is we offer learning programs, which are longer term, more invested programs. However, we offer them different type of formula. Our virtual executive leadership program is a day and a half a month where we explore complexity in complexity theory. Cause that's one of the big challenges that policymakers have to, to face is how to live and how to develop policies in the complex world and system where everything is, inter- is interrelated. And when there's not a single solution that will f- advance all, mm-hmm. you know, a good example for this is, is sustainable development. Like so many people think that sustainable development starts by poverty reduction, you know, if we reduce poverty, we'd have sustainable development. Some other people think that, you know, it's the environment. You know, we should have safe drinking water for everyone. Some other people believe that it's climate. Some other people believe that it's it's education. Well, it's all of that, really. I mean, all of these things should be pushed forward because it's a complex system and there's not a single solution that will solve everything else. So that's what we do with virtual ELP. We studied this over several months. Uh, with digital ELP, for example, we look at the digital in the public sector. If I don't think there's anybody who would argue that today governments and public sectors are pressured to deliver their services using effective technology, you know, whether it's, it's access like the, the front end of the service mm-hmm. or whether it's the back end using uh, artificial intelligence, for example, for accelerating processing of files. So we have those programs that, uh, that make people reflect about. So I'm not talking about IT program here, I'm really talking about policy about IT and that's a totally different on how to use the power of IT or of digital technology to serve citizens better. And that's a different different conversation. And the third thing that we do that's really cool and that's, a, that's an emerging thing uh, with COVID is we have uh, actual learning on trust in government because trust is a big issue and it's one of our research topic at the IOG right now. It's the basic foundation of democratic institutions. It's part of a societal contract that we have between citizens and public sector. And the less trust you have uh, with your citizens or your stakeholder, the harder it is to do big things or big transformation things. So we're, therefore, we have a group of policy leaders in Ottawa who are studying this together. We're working with Advanced Symbolic, who's an artificial intelligence research company, who's our business partner on this. So we're teaching them how to measure trust, uh, what are the different dimensions of trust, and they teach each other as well. So we have a, like, they're very involved process. And they're trying to, to measure also the reason behind trust. For example, if you say lack of trust, it could be because you believe the government is doing too much or too little, but still the end result is lack of trust. And finally, uh, we help them develop models to measure in their own area. So the outcome for them is to have a model to measure trust in their own areas, as well as overall so that's a that's a very involved learning, if you want. That's really an action learning. That's project. fascinating, and that's quite that's very cool because the the, the the results of this are really really interesting.
0: That must be fascinating. And what do you mean by action learning? Can you delve into that a little bit about what that means for this kind of course? Yeah,
1: they are studying something that they're working on right now. Exactly. Right. So instead of taking a hypothetical case, you know, mm-hmm. or, or a case study, they are taking a problem that they're having right now, mm-hmm. and together, working together. And working with our specialists, they develop solutions or approaches for a real problem. Fantastic. So the outcome is really tangible for them.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: something that is really makes sense and that, that has helped them advance their work.
0: And they're walking away with a solution and a path forward, what they are working on and, and with approaches
1: to apply this to other areas of their work. Yes. So we hope that it's not only not only learning about the specific topic that they have done, but also learning about an approach to tackle other challenges that they have.
0: Wonderful. And is that a team that is currently working together that comes as a team to you? Or is it different teams who different people who are working on the same problem, but may not be working together?
1: There are different people from various departments that each have the the team is trust, if you want. Yes, they all have issues or challenges with trust in their own area Mm -hmm. for example in the environmental field there's there's specific issues related to trust versus in the health fields you know and and we've seen this in space with vaccination for example Mm -hmm. how do you get people to trust the advice of government about vaccines Mm -hmm. and the results and the research so therefore uh, they're different and they're different areas of the government Uh, however they have the same kind of issue which Mm -hmm. is the, the common team is trust, which the common team is trust, for
0: example. Which provides a fantastic opportunity. Not only are you working on your own problem and your own project, but also you see that same problem in a different contexts from your different course mates. And therefore, you can understand it a lot better, actually, when you see the same concepts being applied to these different areas. So that must make it a really interesting learning experience for everyone involved.
1: Yeah, and I must say we can't wait to see the results of the outcome of that because it's gone, it's ongoing right now, and it's it's you know the technology yes. that they're using is really cool. Like it's it's absorbing millions and millions of inputs from social media, for example, mm-hmm. and, and the media in general from the internet to try and derive the thinking, understand the thinking right. of the various actors in the society based on their political orientation, gender, sex, for example, or g- region. Mm-hmm. So we try to see if there's any differences regionally. And it's quite, inter- quite fascinating.
0: Very interesting. Really, really yeah. interesting. Well, you're offering a lot of very different programs, not only different in the topics, but also different in the way that the learning experience happens with micro learning, uh, extended learning. I also like the fact that your, your executive program is, is one day every few months so that it's really you have some learning you go back you practice it you come back with new problems and concerns and you learn again a really fantastic way of of organizing it
1: and i must say i just want to add to that something on this thing is that at the beginning you know leadership programs also about forming a learner community yes
0: very and we
1: had doubts about how this was going to work in the virtual world. Mm-hmm. And we're fascinated to see that actually that community comes together. Mm. That people develop relationships, that develop links, that they talk to one another outside of those sessions, that they become a network for each other. And that's really, really cool to see happening. And it's also showing us that you know the, the in person, as important as it is, you know I'm still an advocate for in person. Yes, uh, there are alternatives or there are ways of doing this, and it opens our our perspective to what we could do as a country because mm. training is usually geographically limited. If you want to have national training, you have to bring people from outside of the country, mm-hmm. and so therefore regions uh, across canada and i would say like the national capital area as a region as well you know are isolated from one another and they don't have that those conversation in the learning context and with the virtual we can create those community and we can create those national community where those conversation happens and that's really fantastic
0: that is that is really fantastic and i just wanted to, to kind of delve a little bit deeper into that because creating community in an online space is has been a challenge for a lot of people as we've moved learning experiences online. So can you share maybe one or two strategies that you use to really foster that community, to encourage that discussion?
1: I must say one of the strategies actually is the fact that we've become all collectively pretty good with digital. Mm. You know, it's been our world so <laughs> Yes. We, became, we became used to it. I remember having my first team meetings on Zoom and I'm saying, oh my God, this is kind of weird. <laughs> and now we kind of, it's kind of like Absolutely. deja vu or it's like a habit. Yes. So we've worked at Muscles individually, you know, of establishing relationship, of decoding the non-verbals. Mm-hmm. But we also very consciously in our learning programs create those breakout rooms or those opportunity to discuss in smaller groups. You know, because when you're 20 people on the screen, it's same as when you're 20 people in the classroom, the same people talk usually. <laughs> and yes. most people are quiet. Yes. but but when you create those smaller groups and you create those conversations uh, around topics that are a little bit more personal, then there's a little relationship that develops and people get to know each other better. And mm-hmm. that's what's what we do and we're very conscious to be doing this regularly in every session to make sure that there's those opportunity for those for the people to. Know each other better into jail.
0: Wonderful. Yes, it is all about learning from each other and having those those networks that you can come back to and, and continue learning from. So there's a lot of different topics that you offer at IOG, but when someone who's a policymaker is listening to this, from your experience, what would you suggest as key learnings that policymakers, they would really benefit from? What should they be thinking about? Some key areas so of learning.
1: There's there's two areas, and I've been thinking about that, talking about that since the beginning. You know, the first one would be complex systems.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Very often we've seen, you know, people coming with a simple solution to a complex problem, and it doesn't work. You know, there's not going to be any simple solution to poverty reduction in Canada, yes. or any simple solution to education or to indigenous, there's a range of situations, there's a range of solutions, and there's interdependency between those solutions. Those approaches have to talk to one another if you want. So instead of being one policymaker in one area, you have to be a network of policymakers working together towards a goal. So understanding how complex systems work, how they're interrelated, and how, what's the role, what's the individual role in that overall system and how to influence each other to push forward together, I think is a key learning and skill to develop as well. Yeah, and the, uh, a more technical area would be digital. I think, you know, if public service sector is to be, to stay relevant and, you know, we've t- I've been t- <laughs> t- talking to you about trusts. If people are to trust, one of the key indicators of trust in the OECD is that their, their government is relevant
0: to them. Mm-hmm.
1: So if the government is, is relevant, it must respond to citizens' expectations. And there's no question now that citizens' expectations today are digital. Like you deal with your banks and you can't order in an Amazon. And I mean, the COVID has, has accelerated that, if you want. So we are expecting governments to adapt uh, digital approaches. But governments are slow to approach this, to adapt these things, because we're, we're a little bit... Um, we're not sure about it. We believe it's a fad sometimes, or we, we often fall behind because we don't consider that as serious. And we have seen this with social media. I mean, we've missed the curve as rule as, as makers, and now we're just playing catch up. A good example of this is Uber. You know, everywhere Uber was, it was disruptive. And we just waited for it to come to Canada to say, oh, shit, <laughs> we should do something about that. So there's lots of other technologies that are coming. And I'm not again talking about making policymakers IT experts. I'm talking about what are the policy aspects of IT and of digital. Think about ethical considerations, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have an algorithm deciding who's going to be uh, accepted in Canada, for example, as, as a refugee, or who's going to be liberated, you know, under uh, parole. Uh, who's responsible for that? Who yes. in the end is responsible for the decision? If, there's, if, there, if you follow the, the computer advice and it's a mistake, or if you did not follow the computer advice and you did a mistake, how do we deal with that, that responsibility? So Absolutely. there's all kinds of aspects related to digital and to usage of, for example, big data and to the, the usage of, of algorithm decision-making and understanding what are the disrupting technology ahead of us. And I think that policymakers should definitely adopt this, embrace this, understand this to be ahead of the curve instead of just playing catch up with these
0: areas. Mm, absolutely. It's too late. Once it's already in existence and embedded in a, in a society, it's too late to really look at the impact. So it's so important to stay ahead of the curve and to understand the complexity of it. As you said, with AI, the complexity is so enormous in terms of ethics and bias and it just goes on and on, really, on what that means. So it's it's incredibly yeah. important. Yeah, and
1: just to give you an example. I remember in the nineteen nineties, the government was building the uh, information highway, mm-hmm. and then nobody knew exactly what this was, but they were building it, and we to, But you know, that's an occasion where we were ahead of the curve, because
0: mm-hmm.
1: look at what that information highway is doing for yes. us. But I feel that we're finding we're falling behind in some other areas of digital that we should be uh, make, taking more seriously. And, and and this is important for policymakers to understand and to be able to influence and to put in front of the decision makers, telling them it's an issue to look at.
0: Absolutely. That's very, very important because once that becomes an issue, it's too late. So it's yeah. something that they should be really thinking about, learning about now. I mean, these are all also topics and areas that the leaders in public service should also be learning and thinking about but do you have any specific suggestions for leaders in public service both in Canada as well as internationally uh, what would they benefit from the most
1: yeah, that's a difficult question because it's an individual preference you know I would mm-hmm. say whatever fits you know if you're asking me what the, would they benefit most from I would say whatever fits their learning style mm-hmm. some people like to read the book some people like to get involved so they should understand and they should also think about learning outside of the classroom traditional lecture. So they should not understand learning as, you know, I, go to, I have to go take a course mm-hmm. something, you know, that's part of it. But, you know, you, you've, you probably know the 70-10 mm-hmm. rule in the learning world where you say 70% of what you learn is actually doing and learning on a job. -hmm. So, therefore, you should look at opportunities to learn from your colleagues, from projects, and put yourself in that uncomfortable learner situation because that's a challenge. You know, Uh, learning to to learn, you have to accept, make yourself Mm vulnerable and take that dip before you become more effective and more more knowledgeable and more efficient with your new knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, taking the time to accept this. So, the, the people who provide learning, should also look at innovative approaches. Adventure-based learning is a, is something that I really like. You know, For example, where you put people on a quest to find information about something. Mm-hmm. Or uh, virt- my coolest one these days is virtual and augmented reality learning. Okay. So we have uh, purchased at the IoT uh, virtual reality headsets and we have design thinking sessions, for example, with people in the same room virtually mm-hmm. in an airport and designing a new process for the airport and trying it live in that airport, yes. each one obviously being in their living room, but being in the airport with the headset. So the simulations that, that can be done, for example, for leadership development, where you're again with the headset in front of an avatar that plays your employees, where they have you know, all the, the nonverbal clues and everything, and you give them feedback, for example, we talk to them about change and the avatar reacts. It's really cool technology, and it's something that increases retention. Mm-hmm. So, for, if if learning organizations wonder why should they invest into this, the result, the research result in terms of concentration of learners and and, and retention are very strong, and it's also a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> yes, it is a lot of fun, but and it, I think it's important to highlight that why these virtual headsets are beneficial for learning, and it's exactly in those situations. It's not to sit around a conference table in a virtual world, but it's exactly what you described, is you're trying to solve a problem of designing this, uh, this airport, but a huge part of that is actually being in the location and, and being able to walk around and see what, what you're talking about. And try it. And try yeah, it. Try it. Absolutely.
1: And I mean, there are lots of technical training are going through augmented reality or virtual reality because, you know, you,
0: mm-hmm. you could
1: think of a mechanics, for example, learning how to fix an engine with having arrows saying, okay, this is the exhaust pipe. <laughs> this is this is the gas. This is a gas line. And, and it, we, it's not as concrete in the policy world or in the leadership world. So we think, you know, this is probably just fad and just like, however, there are some really cool and useful tools but and even for sitting around the table, mm-hmm. the when you do, do when you do sit around the table virtually, like in a Zoom room, you're distracted again by that email that comes in and those messages mm-hmm. and so on. When you have your re- virtual reality headset, concentration is magnified because you don't see those things coming, you don't listen to
0: them. Yes, that's an important.
1: So there is an a, there is a benefit to that as well, where the learning is more concentrated and the retention is better because of that.
0: Yes. Yes, it is. It's giving a, a space. I mean, there's actually a, quite a, a bit of research on the fact that learning spaces are very important because if you work at your desk and then you're also going to take a course at that same desk and your your colleagues are still coming to you with the same everyday problems, you can't really focus on the learning. Your mind has to be in a different space and take out those distractions. So the VR headsets are really an interesting way of creating that different space
1: there's also virtual world i don't know if you know verbella which Mm -hmm. is my favorite one where you actually go in there and you're walking with an avatar a bit like a, a video game you're sitting in a room you can project your presentation you can walk into another room to have a group discussion that type of thing so these things gamify learning they make it fun but also allow you to emulate as closely as possible some of the interactions that you would have in person so all those instruments or those tools are learning tools that we'd have to exploit and to to learn from because you know we're just starting to be become aware of them, mm-hmm. but they have huge potential for, you know, instead of being a victim of digitalization of learning, you are actually embracing it and using it to your advantage.
0: Absolutely, being aware of what's out there and also reflecting and thinking about what is the purpose that you're trying to achieve and then choosing the tool to help you do that, not just because it's a shiny new yeah. tool. But because it's serving a purpose of how you learn what you learn, which is really great.
1: Obviously, then the purpose is not gaming. I mean, you have (laughs) three. Yes.
0: (laughs) But engagement is a very important part of learning. So it it all needs to be balanced out. You touched a little bit learning in the workplace, learning through work, the 70, 20, 10 rule, which 70% of your time should be on the job learning. Let's discuss that a little bit about. What can organizations do to help support? Because that kind of on-the-job learning, it does need to be supported and structured in a way that is actually learning. So what, do, what would you suggest for organizations and governments at all levels? What can they do to support policymakers in their on-the-job learning?
1: Give them time. I would say that's the number one. And I've seen, you know, throughout my career, I remember when I was trained as an executive years and years ago, we were going for weeks at a time on training, and now I have difficulty getting people for half day because they're pulled in all kinds of directions and learning is not seen as a priority. So make sure you carve time for people to learn, and it's not only putting a banner in their at their desk saying, "You know, sorry, I'm taking a course right now." I mean, it's more than that. It's making sure that they have access to that undiluted time, minimize disruption. And don't question them for doing it. And I see this, you know, if you knew, uh, we have like webinars or we have programs and people have to step aside because they have a meeting or they get a call from their bus and so on. It's incredible, the disruption and the lack of respect for that learning, that quality learning. And think about it, you know, when you're trying to learn something, if you're not concentrated, it's not sinking in.
0: Yes, it's a waste of a resource.
1: You can't make sense of new concepts. You can't absorb new information. If you're not concentrated, so it's it's already very difficult as human being to stay concentrated, but sometimes yes. when you, when on top of it you have so that that's the first thing, and the second thing I would say is view learning as a mission critical activity, and it is, especially in that fast-paced world that I was describing today, where information is flying at a, at a speed that we've never seen before, and things are transforming because of that at a speed we've never seen before learning is critical for your organization to stay on top of its game and so therefore don't consider this as like oh yeah we have that training budget there if we we have money left at the end of the fiscal year we'll give them a a little course there as a as, as a bonus there consider this as something that is actually key to the operations of your organization especially right now where there's a big renewal in organizations If you look at the government of Canada, you know, post-COVID, there's lots of people who decided not to go back or not to go back to the office. There's a wave of retirement. All those people that have left need to be replaced, but are replaced with people who are coming in green in an era of skill shortage. So therefore, you need to train your workforce. You need to bring them up to speed. And they don't necessarily have the experience of those people that have left. You don't have any knowledge management that has been implemented in the organization. You need to consider learning as an industry-critical activity.
0: Absolutely. I mean, two really, really important points. On the first point, you said that people are very distracted and that is a continuous problem. And it's so important for organizations to realize that they're putting a lot of resources into the learnings that they are offering. But if they don't allow the time for people to actually fully be there and absorb that learning benefit from it's completely wasted. You can't just say, oh, but you were only disturbed 10% of the time. So you only lost 10% of the information. That's actually not the way it works. You very likely lost all of that. All of your investment into that course was lost because you were disturbed 10% of the time.
1: Yeah. It's the retention that's important. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not it's not the the amount of time that you spent taking the course. Exactly. It's how much did you learn and how much did you retain at the end. And if you're distracted, maybe you'll remember for five minutes after what the doc pick up the course was, you remember it a week later or a month later. And this is this is where I mean, if if we are going to be considering training as a mission critical activity and we're going to invest money, you don't want that investment to go unused or
0: to go wasted. Exactly. Absolutely. And so what would you suggest to organizations when they say, yes, but we still need to get this work done? Obviously, it requires creativity and extra resources. But is there any particular suggestions that you think would work?
1: I mean, we did it for years. So what we're facing right now is a change of culture. Organization 10, 20 years ago, were doing it. They were sending people training and dealing with organizing themselves without that person for a day or a week. So it's not that we don't know how to do it. There may be some insecurity related to the fact that you don't see the bums and the seats at the office. Mm-hmm. So there's maybe part of that. There may be some insecurity related to your own. Like if I send, if I'm a manager and I send some of my staff on training and I don't have access to them and I'm facing with the instantaneity of the answers on my own shoulders, mm-hmm. then that's that's also uh, a question of stress. But I mean, we have done it for years. So we need to understand what were we doing then and what's the difference now? And is there anything that we can do? Adopting strategies, for example, having people piggybacking on each other, for example, when one asked and the other one can answer the question. Redundancy in, in the team is maybe one of the strategies, but I'm, I don't want to give the strategy to the people. I'm just saying, I'm sure if it's a question of priority, if they want to prioritize that, they're going to find a way to do it. Now, is it a really a priority or is it just something that you say with your mouth and not with your heart?
0: Yes, very, very true. Absolutely. And it's important to remember that feedback that you provided, that it really does become a huge waste of time and resources, unless attention is there for people to be able to retain the information, understand the information, and then also be able to think about in that course, how will they will apply it so that it has an impact. So what, what would you suggest as a first step? I mean, we discussed a lot of different learning offerings and things that uh, policymakers should consider of topics that they should be really learning. So what do you think is a first step that you would suggest for policymakers and the leaders of, of these organizations on how they can improve the learning experience? I mean,
1: it comes back to what I was saying before as well, Cons- commit to it, consider it as your duty. You know, I'm saying organizations don't consider it as mission critical. Individuals, neither. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As individuals, we have to, and I'm speaking to myself as I'm telling you this, you know, I'm no better than anybody else. You know, I live in that world too. But taking the time to say, okay, I have to give myself, just like, for example, you give yourself the time to read your email or to read the news every day or to eat, some some of us do eat. (laughs) So uh, just put some time, aside to say, okay, I have to read a good book once every month, or I have to read, you know, uh, I, I'm, for example, registered to HRB, and, and those things, and I, I tend to see the emails go through and not take the time to, to look at it. I, I have to, you know, just make the time to look at it. And it's difficult give me the, just the immediateness of your world, but book the time in your calendar as if you're booked. And that's the way I do it personally. It's not perfect because I did the calls that you raised, <laughs> but at least you know you, you've you put aside some time to do it. If you consider it as a priority, you'll give it the time. But if it's just considered, if you consider it even in your home mind as something that's you know, kind of an accessory or nice to have or nice to do, then obviously it will be always the first thing to jump when this crisis comes in, when, this, when the challenge comes in.
0: Absolutely.
1: And I would say, there's one last thing I would say find what Is fun for you to learn you know if you understand how you learn then you can you have a a higher likelihood of finding it fun and pleasant because we're all somewhere somehow curious in our weird field and therefore do it you know if it's a if it's a chore then you won't do it but if you understand how you learn then you're going to have a higher likelihood of doing it if you find it interesting and
0: fun very true absolutely those are really, really good pieces of advice. I mean, reflecting on our own learning process is very, very important. And remembering that it is hard for everyone. It is hard to find the time. It's hard to really be intentional about learning, but also building those systems in simple ways as following, as you said, following some of the learning people who who write about learning, learning organizations, and just seeing it pop up in your feed is a good reminder and then also booking it into your calendar to have a little bit of time to to read and do that kind of learning, all very very important points. It is a challenge. Find the time.
1: Like I find myself early morning, and um, it's the best time for me because then people are not awake yet, so yes. I can concentrate and read. I do it then, you know. But that's that's my way of doing it. But you know, find you know when maybe it's at the end of your day when things are winding down that you have you have a bit of time to do it. Find your best moment and find the best place to do it and, and find your way, your own personal way of learning. And That's the, the best thing.
0: Very, very good advice. Thank you. Well, before we end, I always like to ask for a recommendation. Would you like to make a suggestion of something to read or watch in this space that you think?
1: Honestly, there's such a oh, huge variety mm-hmm. of topic in policy and in the ruling relationship of it. I don't feel like I have the the ultimate silver bullet, but I would say if there's one thing you'd like to familiarize yourself with, I would say learn about learning technologies and learn about, you know, certainly, especially for those people who are in the business of learning like I am, learn about the tools that will make learning easier and more fun. I talked about VR, learn about audience participation tools, learn about learning spaces, virtual world, whatever it is. And these things can help you magnify the effectiveness of your learning. Your personal one, because if you need to use some of these tools, you'll be familiar with them. And and your group one, because if you need to bring a group of people through some learning, you can use some of those tools to actually embrace the virtual world. And and we're not out of the virtual world in learning.
0: Mm -hmm. I
1: mean, there's no way we're going to go back to the classroom quickly We're going to go back to the classroom for certain targeted things because virtual is geographically neutral because it's easily accessible, doesn't require you to get to the classroom and so on. It's going to stay there for a good while. Mm -hmm. So I would say for those people who are going to be using virtual learning, find your spaces, find the tools and familiarize yourself with the tools to be a more effective learner in those areas.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. And do you follow any do you follow any specific Links or any specific people in this in this field that you think is interesting?
1: Not really. I'm a big fan of myself, the Center for Creative Leadership, so I do tend to go there and read on their site, but not, not on the learning. You know, I'm, I, it's on the leadership topic. Right. I, I do I do go read their research there because I find that they're very pragmatic and they're also very uh, very research based. So I mean, whenever they're given advice, it's because they know they've studied, and it's not just like they're. Their views of things—it's like based on some research. So I'm, I'm a big fan of them. So I do see, follow ccl.org. So that's one of the places where that I follow.
0: Right. Well, there's lots of fantastic resources out there, and uh, and your advice to really just become aware and immerse yourself is very important, and become aware of your own learning style and the times it works for you the best, which is really important. Well, Francois, you shared so many important points uh, for policymakers, their leaders, but really very applicable to, to anyone out there in this fast-paced world. It's, it's very important to continue learning and to make that a part of their everyday job. So thank you very much, Francois, for being on the podcast.
1: Thank you. A good conversation. Thank you very much. I hope it's going to be useful to people who are listening yes, to us. Thank you.